we should always be progressing. We should never be that fire department that's been doing it the same way today that we were doing it 15, 20, 30 years ago because we, the fire service as a whole has moved past what we used to do. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Curly Moore, Firehouse Vigilance, it's Weekly Scrap number 60, special guest tonight, Howard Reinwalt, Fire Chief, East Montgomery County Fire Department. He has served in every rank of the fire service, from volunteer firefighter all the way up to paid chief of the department, sitting behind the desk. He's faced down large-scale disaster in Hurricane Harvey, and he specializes in rural and suburban fire tactics. He is probably most well-known for FD Tactics, which has a stable of instructors second to none and can drop a knowledge atom bomb uh, of a conference in your city with a phone call. I try to melt down people's bios when I bring them on and just do a short intro, and yours is extremely hard to melt down, so I will say that right off the get-go. Uh, there is a lot of meat in there. It's very robust. So with all that being said, it's my pleasure to have you, Chief Howard Reinwald, on as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 60. Well, thanks so much for having me. And, uh, man, you know, I didn't even write that bio. A guy I work with did, so I, I really don't know what's in there. It's kind of kind of weird hearing it, but... Uh, very excited to be here, and thank you for having me. No, absolutely. And, and I take I take the bio, and then I break it down, melt it down, and kind of pull out the essence, and then put my own spin on it. So if I get anything wrong, correct me. <laughs> I, I will, trust you. Uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions for Howard or myself, please don't hesitate to send them in the comments. Um, Try to think, did I miss anything in the bio? Anything you want to add? Oh, no, man. Uh, it sounded great to me. Perfect. All right. Uh How's it been going for you? Then I'll start off with the question I've been asking a lot this year, which is how has it been going for you, the craziness that is 2020? Uh, how's it affected the fire service where you're chief, and how's it affected FD Tactics? There's really been no effect for FD Tactics. It's crazy because, I mean, Texas really hasn't slowed down at all. So, you know, we've been busy in Texas. We've been to Oklahoma during COVID. Um, you know, we went to Louisiana during COVID. So we haven't really slowed down at all. It's been a huge effect on the on the fire side with my job, though. You know, we've had last week I had to let fourteen people off work. This week I had to let five people off work with exposures, and two people have caught you know COVID. And it, it's a scary time, man, because you know you budget for a certain thing, and then you get blown away and blown out of the water right right out of the gate because our budget stop starts in October. So right out of the gate, you get blown away with overtime hits and fourteen people off work. So it's a challenge and it's a scary time, but. Empty tactics, no hit. The fire department uh, has taken a hit. Able to roll with the punches so far? Yeah, man. We uh, Unfortunately, I hate doing it. We had to do some mandatory overtime. First time since I've been the fire chief we've ever done any mandatory overtime. But I hate doing that to people. But we did have to do that to cover some holes. But outside of that, it's been, it's been pretty good. Good, good. Well, let me uh, pull up my question because I'm going to lead this off. And I, 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 I hate to – I mean, I know you asked that you get filled with a lot of questions about smoothbores. But between you and your Captain Romagus, uh, Kyle, you guys have been right on the forefront of smoothbores uh, for a while. So talk to me about smoothbores. Why are you a believer and why should everyone be a believer? Uh, man, you know, it, it all depends on, on host packaging. But for us, we started with the 15-16s. I, I started out with the 15-16s tip and – which is a great tip and a great nozzle, and, and a lot of, you know, that was initiated by where I'm from, the Houston Fire Department. The guys who run Smoothbore in the Houston Fire Department run a 15-16. Well, I, I kind of adopted it in our organization when I was still a captain on the engine. And, uh, you know, it was just a little too much for us nozzle reaction-wise. So uh, we run three-man engines. We had two guys on the line. One guy's humping slack. One guy's trying to push with the nozzle. So it was a little too much. And then I ran into a guy named Kurt Isaacson who introduced me to the 7.8. So I ordered a 7.8 out of my own pocket, put it on the uh, line, and we started playing around with it. And it was a game changer. You know, and we ran the gallons per second test. We did the whole nine yards. And a lower flow on the 7.8 with a better manageable nozzle reaction was a much more larger volume overall if we were pushing. And anybody who hasn't ran into any information on Kurt Isaacson, he made me a believer out of the 7.8 with the gallons per second test. And basically, it is you hook a flow meter up and you watch the flow meter as somebody's pushing through a building with furniture and bullshit in it to be able to see how much water is being flowed consistently throughout the push instead of opening up, you know, you can have a 200 gallon per minute nozzle, which is what we were running prior to smoothbore. 
but you only open it for a brief moment because that's all you can handle nozzle reaction wise. So we have a, a battalion chief who was a captain at the time, Jared Griffin, and one of the most solid firemen I've ever met in my life. He got burnt pretty bad. And I contributed, I don't know what he contributes it to, but I contributed largely to the fact that they could not keep the line open while they were pushing to be able to bring that heat down and all of that. So as they were pushing, there was an elevation change in the floor. And of course, you know, we don't always crawl, but he was walking. He kind of tripped over the floor and fell into some carpet that uh, meth lab had been saturating all the gases into the carpet sure. and off gassed around him and lit on him. So I guess I say all that to say what made me a believer out of the smoothbore, why I think other people should be a believer, is dependent on your manpower, de dependent on your demographic, dependent on your uh, your hose packaging that can meet the, the uh, demands of a low-pressure nozzle. Uh, just basically being able to flow water and push with it. That's 100% it for me. I don't I don't dive deep into the, the small droplets. I don't dive deep into the the uh, other other shit but for me it's manageable to be able to push and flow water because to me we don't have the manpower to do what a lot of big cities do we ventilate a lot but we don't have the manpower out the gate to ventilate all the time and to me flowing water is a form of ventilation it cools it reduces pressure if there's a whole, a whole opposite of the nozzle and the push it's pushing the steam, the steam heat and all the byproducts of combustion out of the hole so in a form that, that is ventilation to me so uh having the ability to cool that down prevent a rapid fire growth also coupled with creating ventilation through flowing water i think that all of those things come together and make you make you a believer and should make you a believer absolutely it's pretty good pretty good argument across the board especially when it comes to low manpower and uh truthfully i think that's a problem across the american fire service is getting enough manpower on scene for everyone uh, Barring the blessed few. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. You know, we worked on box cards today. Uh, a battalion chief, uh, Simmons, that worked for me, him and uh, Captain Densler, they went to uh, our dispatch and worked on box cards today. You know, we, we've been running. We were supposed to be running eight on a residential and ten on commercial. And you've got to keep a balance on that because that's what we thought we had set up. That's what we thought we were responding. But when we check into it, we, we've been having six and eight six residential eight commercial and that simply isn't enough manpower no. especially in the in the setting of low staffed apparatus you say you're a volunteer fire department i talked to volunteer fire departments that they'll respond to an incident and they have to get on location and confirm it's a working fire before they call the box that is absolutely crazy no i think you should be heavy staffing that box out the gate if you're running low manpower on your apparatus no talk about seconds counting i mean there is a slight echo. Yep, I'm here. Okay, good deal. There is a slight echo when you talk. So, yeah. viewers, let me know if uh, if there's any issue with understanding Howard. We'll try and fix it. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's just, I don't know if the mic's picking up your own voice or what. If it's coming out. But, uh, moving. Brumley, yeah. You already touched on it. Setting your guys up for success. Uh, hose packages and how high-pressure packages can actually set firefighters up for failure. Um I didn't understand hose packages a lot until I started uh, basically talk, watching FD Tactics, talking to Kyle, talking to Jonathan Brumley and things like that. Low-pressure smoothbore packages. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brumley and Romagus are a lot better at that information than me. But basically, we ran North American Dura 800 hose is what we ran when we first transitioned to the 50 PSI nozzle. And uh, after I get done tonight, I'll post a picture on Facebook of a nozzle that hit me in the lip. I think I showed it to you when we were in Florida, but uh, man, it'll knock your damn teeth out. So especially if you try to hold the line correctly and hold it out in front of you, there's a lot of want to uh, like aggressively whip right between that nozzle and your hip region, which transitioned me into a, a, a large camella lock kind of guy instead of a hip grip because just the hose we were running. And through that, I've kind of just stuck with that positioning. That and, you know, we, we travel around and do, do body mechanics with a lot of people, and I've never really met a lot of people who can't do the camella. I've met quite a few who can't do the hip grip, which is neither here nor there. But for me, I fell into that because of the bad hose that we had. The North American Dura 800, it was a light-grade hose. It was not designed for what we had, and it's a larger diameter, but 
mainly the, the the material in the hose is what stiffens it up to be able to handle that 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 lower pressure coming through the line so i mean again i'll post a picture just to make you a believer out of hose packages but you have got to match a premium hose with a lower nozzle pressure and i understand that budgeting concerns may happen but if you want to set your people up for success to be able to move water and flow water while they're moving to reduce temperatures I think flowing and going from the beginning of the hallway to the room is a form of a transitional attack. 100%, you can't convince me otherwise. And to be able to do it, the package has to match from the discharge of the pump to the tip of the nozzle. Has to be done intentionally. Absolutely. Nice, nice. Perfect. All right, Andrew Starn said, good man right there. He's talking about you, Howard. Gigi Galasio said, howdy, gentlemen. Mark alone says, we... Mark alone does say we sound fine, and Philip Baird said my man Howie. <laughs> so hey, Philip, if I showed you my text thread with Philip, you would think that Philip hated me. But he's a he's a good guy. He's one of the guys I was talking about with my post today. Like you can trust him because he's going to say some very rude stuff to your face, but he will not let anybody talk behind your back. He's a good, good dude. And so is Andy. Andy Starnes, one of the best dudes I've ever met in my life. Huge Christian, huge family man. Absolutely wonderful guy. Uh, solid words from Howard to Philip. Uh, unless you read the text messages only. Uh, now, which brings me up. You brought up Facebook, and it's something I wanted to talk to you about, which is uh, Andy Fredericks, the trash man doesn't get excited. Come around the corner when he sees a trash can. That that blue. That, someone asked a question about that, and it went it went a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of comments on it on Facebook. So talk to me about your take on that, and uh, just discussing the trash man in the fire. Uh, man, you just think your level of operation and your ability to operate on a fire when you pull up to the screamer, the guy who goes on location is just screaming and giving you orders. Like I immediately assume that this person does not know what they're doing. And you can go either way with it. There were some people saying, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited because, you know, I'm just happy to do this job. I don't pull up on any fire and get excited in a level of, you know, not being able to think or excited in the ability or in the, in the aspect of I'm happy that somebody's shit's burning up. I do want to make fires. I do like going through fires, but I don't get excited in any, any region of that. I appreciate my job is what I do. Um, but you know, I think what Andy was really trying to get across when he, when he made that statement was we can't pull up and act like we haven't done this before. And there were people, you know, talking about, well, how many fires do you make a year? I didn't even comment to that. Uh, I mean, you can look that up. It's, it's pretty easy to look up how many fires people make, but you know, you've got to act like whether it's one fire or 200 fires a year, you've got to act the same way every single time. It's called consistency consistency in your knowledge base consistency in your professionalism and when you get excited you do not think properly so just for for my my opinion and i I could be wrong i'm wrong all the time i guess but my opinion is is that you just can't get excited whether you're happy or whether you're just excited because you can't connect your brain to your ass well put well put i like it let's see if we get any i've got david hino hino joseph says who's talking smack Dirk Jenny says, I'll catch up with you guys later. Can't wait. Nate Schuler said, small town city in Georgia, 10 personnel if fully staffed for the day. Doesn't matter if residential or commercial. Top sometimes too scared or hesitant to call for mutual aid. I think that's an ego thing. You know, the, 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 the chiefs don't want to call for help because they don't want to seem like they're asking for help. But I can tell you through my experiences from captains and fire chiefs, I've succeeded more in my positioning by asking for help. And we don't have, this ain't a freaking Nintendo game, right? We don't have a game over or a one-up or, you know, we get to restart after we die. These are bad things happening on fires. And I'm not saying just because of firefighters, because I don't think, truly, I don't think it's as dangerous as we like to make it out to be for firefighters. But for the civilians that we're putting at risk, you pull up on a fire and you got to make an attack on a second or third floor and you're trying to push with one crew. You're going to send one crew to search. You're going to send one crew to vent the roof. If they find a victim on the way, do we just we abandon the search after we find one victim or do we have continuity of search to keep the search moving? We've got to call for, for help up front. And he's absolutely right. It's typically the guys up top. 
And I, I think it's an ego thing. They just don't want to ask for the help because it's, they, they don't want to seem like they need the help. But we all need the help. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to say, we, we got this. We can handle this all by ourselves. We don't need nobody. Yeah. Uh, Mike Heaney has chimed in and said, get some. Robert McLellan said, what's up, fellas? Sean Duffy has said, leave it to Chief to spit the facts, with the facts being in all caps. Uh, Nate Schuler said, thanks, Chief. Scott Thompson showing up and said, go big early. And Mark alone said, there is no one on deck. Oh, man. I'm not a big blue card fan. Uh, I do like the on-deck concept uh, of blue card. So I guess that, that's a positive. But we do want to have somebody on deck, you know. I like, you know, and I, I, it seems like I always reference Kurt, but Kurt's a huge mentor of mine, and I think you noticed that when we were in Florida. But, uh, you know, when he talks about depth in the bench, that really puts it into pers- perspective. You know, when he talks about, you know, you don't send a football to the game and they start sending people out on offense and they play defense and there's nobody on the bench to relieve them if somebody gets hurt or whatever. You've got to have that. If you use Lou Card or whatever, you got to have that. On, you got to have that on deck, and you got to have people there standing by. Because when you need somebody, you need those motherfuckers right now. You can't be waiting. So I think I think front loading is huge. No, and and I can't think of a better mentor to have or someone else to be uh, referencing. So uh, absolutely, we got some good ones in yeah. here. Uh, all right, getting my notes back up. And I'm cold right now. It's seventy degrees out here. <laughs> Leave it to the guy from the Houston area to be cold at 70. Uh, when seconds count, uh, safe to say that's one of your big flagship courses for FD Tactics. Between that and you say rapidly develop leadership, probably your two big ones. Talk to me. I mean, it's in yeah, the title. Absolutely. It, it's in the title. If anybody doesn't understand what that's going to be about, but talk to me about when seconds count. Man, the, the class, we really don't talk about like time as you would think with the title it, it i guess we do we talk about methods and, and and tactics on the fire ground and things to take back and put time back on the clock for the people who call 911 because you know you can't make time up in route that's the, i think i personally think that's the most dangerous thing we do is traveling on the freeway or working on the freeway so we can't put time back on the clock when we're on the freeway so through through evaluating how you do things whether it be hose line deployments whether it be the way that you advance the way that you back out, one thing people don't talk about or practice is how they back out of a fire. So timing, putting time back on the clock for when it matters, right, is, is, is evaluating how we currently do it against a different way. We should always be progressing. We should never be that fire department that's been doing it the same way today that we were doing it 15, 20, 30 years ago because we, the fire service as a whole has moved past nice. what we used to do. Nice. And we got to evaluate and compare it. So, the win seconds count concept, 100% really isn't anything more than taking and looking at the way we do things and trying to find a way that is faster, as safe, and as efficient. And that's 100% what it's all about, and, and putting time back on the clock for the people who call 911, or putting time back on the clock when you get into our situation of when we need the help. When we, op- when we open up that radio transmission and say, Mayday, how do we put time back on the clock for there? Because... When those cards or those dominoes start falling, it's hard to stop them. And you got to get ahead of the curve and pull one of those pieces out to stop the rest from falling down. And the only way to do it is, is, is time. Absolutely, man. And once those – the May Day is always – dominoes have been falling for a while, just unaware, and now it's in place. So if you don't have a way to get that time back, then you are definitely going to be behind the eight ball even more so. Uh, Absolutely. Maximizing our combat effectiveness, says David Hinojosa. I got to get your name right. Hinojosa? Am I saying it right? Let me know, David. Hinojosa. Hinojosa? All right. Brian. Yep. Oh, go ahead. Brian Bassett. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say, he'll knife hand your throat if you get his name wrong. He's a, he's a pretty aggressive guy. I, he, I, he sent me a one of the... Uh, it, he was mean mugging the camera. He signed the Vigilant Creed, and it was it was an intense stare down of the camera. So it was intimidating just yeah. through a through a picture. So uh, he's coming on uh, in yeah he's in the end of the end of this month in fact or December he'll be on. So we'll get a we'll get a uh, he'll he will be able to get a chance to knife hand my throat. Uh, Brian Bastinelli said ego, ego is one of our biggest issues That is spot on Sean Duffy says we have to be force multipliers In today's fire service Wit Dotson ask you Chief how motivating is it for you That you have captains like Romagus 
Man, I, and you know, it's crazy, and, and I know a lot of fire chiefs probably say this, but Romagus is not the only guy the way he is in my fire department. Uh, he's the only guy that has a wife that lets him travel the way he does, but uh, I'm very proud of everybody that works there, and I'll tell you, that's you know that's really something that motivates me to, to keep progressing with my knowledge base tactically because you know you, you fall back on the comment that that was just made about ego you know ego is spot on and i struggle with my own ego if you follow me on facebook there's a lot of times that people i respect have to check me because i'll get a little out of hand myself and i think we all battle with that sure. but uh, when my ego is fighting with me, I don't want to get passed up. So motivation-wise, with those captains in place and the battalion chiefs I do have in place, it motivates me and pushes me to be better because I don't want to get passed up by anybody. No, just that, that having someone like, I mean, obviously more than someone. I mean, You also had down there in Florida that I met this time around. Besides Kyle Romagus was the uh, um, Sid. And who was the big guy? I mean, he was six foot six. If, yeah. If he was his, he, Yes. So you have some motivated guys traveling to Florida with you there. So it was impressive. Yeah. The, Great uh, guys, man. It's it's absolutely a huge motivation. I I couldn't put into words how proud I am to work for those guys. You know, I, I serve them, and uh, they serve the public we serve. And if I put them first, they put the public first. So that, that's that's a hundred percent what I have to do. And I mean. You can ask any of them when I'm not around. I'm not just blowing smoke. I truly believe that. And I think more fire chiefs need to put their people first and fight for their people because every single day, like I'm at the house right now, if they run a fire and I don't go because I'm on this thing, typically I try to go. But every action they do, it either looks poorly or looks positively on me. And, uh, man, they, they make me look very good. So I, I got to thank that whole fire department. Well, I like the intentional use of your language when you say that the the guys you work for, you know, when you're talking about your captains, your company officers, and your fi- your line guys, that with that kind of intentional language, it's very impressive yeah. and, and it representative of the culture that probably exists in your in your department, uh, especially when the guy at the top is using that kind of intentional language. Um, Chief Scott Thompson's chiming in here, and he says, and it's kind of in my notes, so I'm just jumping ahead because he asked the question, what about the rapidly developed leadership? I want to hear a little more. So that's an easy segue right into rapidly developed leadership. Oh, man. It's an intriguing, yeah, so it's an, a really intriguing title. Sorry, I walked all over you. Go ahead. <laughs> it's all good. Man, see, that class is more about what has been done wrong than it is what's been done right. I talk about a lot of things that, that I wish I could go back and redo because as a young officer and, and I'm still a young, I'm a young fire chief. I mean, uh, I just, you know, the ego portion of it was what drove me to do the things I did because when you start pointing at your collar and, and, and your bugles on your collar, nothing ever goes right. So through that and through growth, the rapidly developed portion of it was me learning that getting buy-in creates peer accountability. And there's no level in the fire department that is more strong at creating a full buy-in in your organization than peer accountability. Because what it done for me when I did that and getting buy-in from the membership is they hold each other accountable at that peer accountable level. And when I'm not around, things still go the way I expect them to go because it was a full organization's buy-in. It wasn't just me browbeating them saying what needs to happen or things like that. But the rapidly developed portion of that, that class truly is more about what I've done wrong than anything I ever done right. And, and I'm still today doing things incorrectly. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is that the, the main portion and the, and, the, and the bullet point and the take home at the end of the class is, is trying to create buy in from your organization and having that level of accountability that they hold themselves accountable and you don't have to do it. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. Man, I got to see when you're doing that the next time and catch that one as well as when seconds count. Uh, there's too much stuff I got to catch. Chief Scott, Thompson's a huge, <laughs> Chief Scott Thompson's a huge motivator and inspiration for our organization. Uh, he's Yeah, dude. He's one of my heroes. I, I tell him that all the time every time he comes on. Um, and he's also coming on on December 17th, uh, coming back on to talk again. So I'm excited. Lots of uh, – man, it's so fun. Um Andrew Starnes, Andy Starnes said, motivated guys are a result of an exceptionally motivated leader. I cannot argue with that. LJ Guy said, if I put them first, they put the public first. That phrase needs to be put in every chief's office as a reminder. That's a humble leader building a badass culture, and I cannot agree more, LJ. I wish I could put more than just a like on that. 
Robert McLeland said, do you ever work any 24s as a tailboard fireman as fire chief? Uh, the last one I worked, I believe, they probably have to correct me. I don't remember what day, but it, it was either Christmas or Thanksgiving last year because they we didn't have the coverage. And, you know, I'm a big believer, too, something I talk about in Rapidly Developed Leadership is the younger guys coming into the organization without families established yet should work the shifts and cover guys that have families so they can get off and be with their families. And, you know, I, I worked for, for probably six years. I worked 96 hours on, 48 hours off. So my wife's a big backer, and she doesn't have a big issue with me, you know, bailing out on a holiday because I'm home almost every night now. So, yes, I do work 24-hour shifts, but it's not as often as I would like it to be. I'd love to do it all the time. Uh, but I, I believe, too, you know, guys, guys need their own space, and they don't want a fire chief meddling in their business all the time. So... I kind of try to wait till I'm invited to do those things instead of just ball, you know, bailing into a station and staying the night. But uh, when they can't find coverage, I try to do it as much as possible. Yeah, that's impressive. That is really impressive. I like it. Brian Dunfield has a question for you. He says, "Chief, what do you think of instructors teaching skills and tactics they don't actually do themselves on the fire ground?" Man, I, I, I there's zero credibility in that. Like, that's like reading a book remembering the book and then going and regurgitating the book. It's it's not your information. If you don't have it that you've learned on the fire ground, then all you're doing is stealing from somebody else to, and, and using it over. Ray McCormick made a post about it the other day. I mean, your reputation is huge in the fire service and it won't take long before somebody finds out that you're teaching something you do not really do. I don't do standpipes. I don't do uh, any of those things in, in that realm. You know, we try to stick to what we do, and, and we get calls all the time about teaching classes that I could go teach, but I would never, ever want it to be brought up that I'm teaching something that we don't have experience in. Because at the end of the day, like Steve Robertson says, experience matters. And I, I just don't think you should be teaching something you don't do. That's just my opinion, but I personally wouldn't want to take a class from somebody who's teaching something that they don't personally do. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and, and it, with the internet, there's hardly any excuse anymore. I mean, you might have been able to get away with it, in, you know, back in the day, trying to pawn something off as your own. But uh, nowadays, the uh, it's pretty easy to get some extensive research done, pretty simple, even with a smartphone. Oh, and you teach a class, somebody's going to snap a picture of one of your PowerPoint slides and put it on Facebook. So very quickly, somebody's going to see that you're still in their shit. <laughs> right. Uh, Scott Thompson said, thank you, brothers. I learned from each of you as well. So I wanted to get to, you do a lot of instruction. So I wanted to ask you, what are lessons you have learned as an instructor, as a teacher, and what advice would you give to other people who want to instruct or teach? I would say the, the biggest lesson I've learned as an instructor is that there's people attending the class as a student that know more than you do. You're, you're just kind of a cog in the wheel to keep the, the organization or the organization of the event or keep the information flowing or to keep the class going in a full direction. But there's people in that class that know more than you do. So I think the lessons learned as a leadership or, or you know, suggestions I would give somebody coming in is don't go to somebody's fire department or a conference and think that you're the hot shit because there's somebody attending your class that knows you're either full of shit or you know your information. And you'll, you'll, you'll find that they know you're full of shit when you start acting like you know everything. So that's the biggest suggestion I could probably give somebody is, is understand that people in your class know more than you do. So it all wraps right back around to that ego and staying humble? It sure does, man. I think everything does. You know, becoming humble. I did a, I did a podcast the other day with a guy named Dr. Donnie. Excellent, excellent guy. It's called Work-Life Balance. And it was kind of out of my wheelhouse, but I was, real, I was real excited to do it because I got to talk about, like, you know, a fire that I went to with a kid that passed away. I got to talk about my marriage and, and some other stuff. It wasn't really, you know, tactical stuff, but... Uh, you know, the biggest point, the thing that I kept falling back on in that, and I never plan any of these conversations out. I kind of just flow with it. But the thing I kept falling back on in that podcast was that being humble in your marriage, being humble at the fire station, being humble. And, and it's a daily fight, especially for me, because my ego is very large. 
and you know it's a daily fight and trying to trying to wrap that in and hold that and, and have control over it and just be humble so yeah you're right it all falls back it all circles back your marriage does teaching and instructing does being a fire chief a captain everything it, it pendulums off of being humble and understanding that that people can have an input because people do know more about certain things than you do you don't know everything absolutely uh I liken it to going and giving a lecture on leadership and having Scott Thompson sitting there in the uh, audience and thinking you're the hot. <laughs> yeah, you made me spit my drink out, bro. <laughs> I just spit my drink out. Yeah, you know I did because I taught at Third Coast Conference two years ago or a year ago, and Dennis Laguerre was sitting in the crowd. <laughs> nice. You want to talk about intimidating, man? My knees were shaking. That was a that was a rough one. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I couldn't imagine Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson sitting in my leadership class. Uh, we got um, Andrew Starn said, "Doctor Donnie is the man." Mike Heaney said, "Love the message. Be humble as an instructor because they will always see through the bullshit." Whit Dotson says, "There are two types of firefighters: the humble one and the one who's about to be." And Marquio Tixiera. Said hi from FD Sapadoros Afaro, Portugal. So we got someone chiming in from Portugal telling us to stay safe. Uh, so thank you for that. Are you there? I'm catching, I'm losing. Nope, you're back. All right. What is the. Cra- yeah, I had somebody calling. My, my iPad's attached to my phone. It's okay. You can talk to him. We'll listen in. What, no, I'm good. what is the craziest excuse, you know, all the traveling, all the conferences, all the classes you've done, what's the craziest excuses you've heard for not wanting to train or not wanting to try and implement change? Anything along those lines? Man, obviously COVID. I mean, some people may not want to hear it. I, I, I don't know what their beliefs are, but we have not slowed down since this thing started, and, and COVID has been the largest excuse that we've heard in we haven't had one person knock on wood from any of our classes that have, have came down with COVID. If, if you do things properly and, and you do the temperatures, the social distancing, all the recommendations, I mean, like I said, some people may not agree with me, but I think COVID is the, the largest and craziest excuse that I've heard thus far. Um, I mean, people are getting, they've gotten the flu. You know, when I went to New York, we talked in New York, I came back with the flu, but you know, the flu kills a bunch of people, too. I think COVID is not a fake thing. I don't think it's made up, but it didn't stop you from going to Florida. It didn't stop me from going to Florida. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I think COVID is the largest and craziest thing thus far that I've heard. No, and it's not. It, I guess I could back that up and say, you know, uh, another one, I guess just something that everybody else could probably agree with because I know everybody's not going to agree with the COVID one. But uh, another one is that, you know, I've, I already know that information. Gotcha. That's, that's a crazy excuse not to do the training or attend the class because you already know the information because I think being relevant requires you to remain engaged. And whether you know the information or not, staying engaged, you may have to go retake another class that you've already had. I've had water on the fire six times, and I'll go a seventh and an eighth. I mean, I just I, I think that you have to stay engaged. Sometimes courses change. Sometimes the information in the courses change. So just saying that you already know the information isn't enough. Nice, nice. Um, Nate Schuler's chiming in, and he said, oh, James Deeney asked, why can't Big City Chiefs learn from Chief Thompson and Chief Reinwald? That's a great question, and I think it goes back to that ego, but um, I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons across the board, but I think it will all tie back to that ego. Um, Nate Schuler said, as an engineer, when I get the chance to teach and instruct, how do I influence not only the younger members, but most importantly, the older members as well? There you go. Um, is he doing driver operator training only or just tra- training in general? He, I'll, I'll see if he chimes in and lets us know, but I'll update. It takes a second on the delay. Driver operator is a like, pump ops training is an easy one to be objective right out of the gate on. All other things, like you've got to get out there and prove it in, a, in, a, in an objective way, but there's no way to fake it through pumping an apparatus. Uh, you can you can argue with me all you want, but when we put our hands on it and we start doing it, it's very easy to prove 
whether I'm right or you're right. I, I'm not saying that I'm always going to be right, but when we do it, we'll figure out who's right. But the key to engagement, I believe, is letting those those more experienced members lead the training and don't don't be an asshole right out of the gate like in front of everybody if you see something they're doing or talking about that isn't necessarily accurate pull them to the side and have them explain it to you a little better and show you i think uh talk is pretty cheap we can do a lot of things through action and through action with with training we can either show objectively that it's right or it's wrong so uh just don't call them out i think a lot of people miss the boat with with uh older guys or are people with a lot more experience than them is trying to call them out in front of everybody and then they fall back on how long they've been doing it. Whether they're right or wrong, they're going to fall back on how long they've been doing this job. You don't know as much as they do. It, it becomes a non-winning argument at that point. Nice, nice. And and, and it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse or beating the same drum, but it, you, you engage their ego and they have no choice but to get defensive at that point. That's it. Yeah, man, they uh, they're not... They're not going to back down when you're coming at them aggressively. They've been around too long to, to do that. Uh, I, I I would think if you if you approach them in a more inquisitive manner and, and want them to explain it to you and show you, there are those guys, though, that, you know, you, you ask them to show you and they don't really want to show you because they don't know. Some people avoid training just because they don't want to show how much they don't know. Absolutely. But, and if that's the case, then, then show them. Hey, man, one-on-one, I want to show you this. Right. And, and it's kind of hard to deny, you know, typically a lot of people are going to join in. It's like the guy, that video, that, that guy dancing in the middle of the field by himself. Nobody else wanted to do it at first, but after a while, one person joined in, another person joined in. Now the whole park's dancing in the field. So I think, uh, you get out there and you start doing it. They'll, they'll eventually join in or, or they'll, they'll just ship out. Cause I don't know how, I don't know if his department does transfers or not, but Typically, when you get that crew that becomes engaged as a whole, and there's still that one guy just hanging on by the thread that doesn't really want to do shit, they typically ship out some other crew. I love it. Uh, no, okay, good, good. I was gonna, I was gonna chime in on that and summarize it by saying, uh, Chief Howard Reinwald's number one piece of advice is don't be an asshole. But uh, they become uh, Ryan McCormick said they become defensive because some lack the knowledge. 100. percent Brian Dunfield says you need to write a book, Chief. The fire service deserves it. Nate Schuler said, "Thanks again, Chief. What about book? You got a book coming? Man, I don't know. I I, I don't uh, I don't think I'm at a point in my experience level to write a book. There's too many people that. I, I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm not Chief Scott Thompson. I mean, he's got years and years of experience in the leadership role. I'm still learning that position. Everything I'm talking about tonight is just hard lessons learned that I've done the wrong way." And I'm not to the point I don't believe. I, I really appreciate the compliment, but I don't think that I have the experience level at this point to write a book on the topic. I, I, I'm at the teaching level. Yeah, I could teach it. Uh, I could talk about it on this podcast, but to put it in text and send it out to the masses to where it can't be challenged to my face, I don't think I'm at, to that level yet. I like it. I like it. But I look forward to when, you feel that, when you're feeling comfortable enough to do it. Well, I appreciate it. Nate Schuler said thanks. Okay, I got you that one. Tom Hollick is chiming in with a question here, and it's a good question. So, um, Chief, I completely believe in your abilities and also your belief of stay in your wheelhouse. However, how would you say to teach a RIT class? Currently, I teach a regional NFPA 1407 RIT class. I have never been involved in a deployment, however. If we were to rely on only those who have been involved in a deployment, those would be few and far between. So the challenge is... I got to agree with it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I do have, I do have to agree with him on that. That's the one topic. Well, that's the one topic I could think of immediately off the top of my head where I believe through reading NIOSH reports and line of duty deaths and, and Project Mayday, I think that you can gather the information to honor the people that have went on. Where I'm coming from with the experience side is, you know, teaching a class on smoothbore nozzles, teaching a class on vertical ventilation that you've just taken a class and you're regurgitating. But I personally agree with him 100% because I wouldn't want somebody who's good at RIT teaching me how to do RIT because they've been involved in too many. I, I, they're, they're not good at other things, right? So if you're that experienced in RIT to be teaching it because you've got this huge level of experience in RIT deployments, we probably ought to do some other training. Which is great to segue right into. So I, agree, I agree with him 100% on that. Brilliant in the basics. The concept of brilliant in the basics. Yeah. That's another one of your classes. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but General Stanley McChrystal, uh, I believe McChrystal, I may get it wrong, but 
he said that the reason the special forces are special is because they basically take the basics and they take them off the table. Don't worry about them. Those are done. Every one of those guys, the basics are in the bag. Therefore, they can focus their abilities and mental capabilities forward. Yeah, I think if you're if you're exceptional in the basics and brilliant in the basics, when you when you run into those situations that are outside of that, you're not really falling back trying to figure out how to do the basic shit. You know, you can, you can start concerning yourself with decisions to be made in an advanced setting. So brilliant in the ma- basics doesn't mean just take the advanced stuff off the table completely. I mean, you still got to do that training, but when it becomes second nature and it's a habit to you, you don't have to think about it. And that goes from deploying a hose line to forcing a door to, to, to ventilating a roof, uh, to search. Uh, the basics fall down to, to how to treat people, right? I mean, when you're, when you're in a leadership role, which can be a firefighter, a driver, or a captain, it doesn't matter, right? When you're in a leadership role, role basics from that position and that leadership that you're, you're exhibiting is treating people correctly, right? So I think that that should come second nature. So, yeah, um, no disrespect to him, but I don't think you can completely take it off the table, however. I think you still have to, you have to go back and revisit that stuff like we were talking about with the excuse about not taking training. Sure, sure. Just because you think you have it, things may have progressed and gotten and changed. So uh, brilliant in the basics requires a, a constant finger on the pulse of what the basics are today. Uh, they, they constantly change. So, yeah, I think I think being brilliant in that, that aspect does does require consistent uh, training in it, but also opens up for for more focus to be put on the advanced stuff. Because what happens when we're not brilliant, the basics, we make a run, something goes bad. It's just, a you know, a hose line deployment, a misestimation of a strip. It's like we pulled short or we pulled way too long. Pulling too long is just as bad as pulling short. So we got to get good at estimating those stretches. That's that's a basic skill that is lacking. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, and, and what happens is, is we'll make that call, we'll pull short, and now we got to come back. And everybody's focused on pulling the hose line now because it's not something we invested in prior to the event happening. So becoming brilliant in that prior to needing to to refocus and retrain everybody in the group. Absolutely, absolutely, love it. Um, Shane Bentley said, uh, doesn't take but one person to start a movement. Someone will follow and pretty soon we'll all be dancing in that field. That's a great analogy. I love it. Kurt Isaacson has now chimed in. He said, it's simple. You're either into the job or you're not. Thanks for loving the job. Mark writing said, hello from Rhode Island. Great hanging out with you guys. See you in a week. So Mark writing is going to see you. I'm guessing probably down in Florida. Uh, A couple more to catch you up on here. James Denny said, regardless of what you say, you are at a level all these other Chiefs are at. Much respect, brother. That's a huge compliment, um, especially considering who's in here. Thank you. John Lamb said, still waiting on the book of Dave from David Hino Yosa. I'm going to get that name right eventually. I promise, Dave. I promise. Hino Hosa. <laughs> John Lamb works for me. John Lamb's a real good fireman. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, GG Galasso says, do you put a crew person that knows that particular duty in that same duty, or do you switch people out to learn that said duty they do not know? Uh, from an ex- well, I, see, I, this is where it gets hard is I can't have a two-way conversation. Right, so right, I know. I'm assuming he's asking or she's asking um, from an experience standpoint. So we do rotate out. The rule is, is if you rotate, let someone ride up in the captain's position to gain uh, experience in that position, the captain has to ride in the back. You know, there's there's time and time again you look and you see that somebody got injured or hurt in a fire and the captain's outside running command. Like, what sense does that make? You're putting a mid-level or, or a, 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 you know, a ranking position that's supposed to be supervising a push or supervising a search or supervising vertical ventilation out in the front yard without all their shit on. Like, we try to find every excuse not to wear gear. So... I'm kind of going in a rabbit hole from the question, but I can go back to the question is, yeah, we do ride, we do ride up one position to try to get people in the experience uh, of the position. And uh, we'll do that by allowing whoever, whatever position they're riding up in, the person that's supposed to be in the position stays in the back. So they're still there with them as they're making decisions. We call it ghosting. No ghosting. Nice, nice. Uh, Gigi said, yes, sir. Uh, it, she is a she, experienced, and thank you. Um, but I've got coming at you. David Hinojosa said, instructing, learn to read body language. This skill gives the instructor the ability to see how the message is being received. The instructor can then change the tempo and re-engage in a different manner to get the point across. Also comes in handy when asking the kids who broke the TV. 
<laughs> I was gonna say the body language is huge. I mean, that, that's with everything from 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 disciplining someone to coaching to mentoring to everything. I mean, you can immediately read if you pay attention to body language how they're receiving the message because it, it, it takes you to send it, it takes them to receive it, and then it takes them to respond. And through all of those steps, their body language is going to depict whether whether you're making the connection or you're not. He's right. Sometimes you got to step back and, and reposition and punt the ball because it's not coming across right. So I agree with him 100% on the body language. That, that's that's a huge aspect of communication as a whole. Love it. Love it. And all I was going to say when I was walking all over you was if you have a rabbit hole you want to go down, this is the weekly scrap. It's made up of rabbit holes. That's the, that's the premise it's built on. So if you feel like rabbit hole and you take off, you can say squirrel and just start running. Uh, uh, I am a squirrel. Mike Keeney said, what is your most important truck function? Search. I think everything we do is pendulum, pendulums around the search. It, it all hinges on the search. You know, a lot of people people will talk about, you know, attack-based rescue is what we do. But we that's in my department is the people saying that. But it's not attack-based rescue, really. It's search-centered attack is what we're doing. I think everything's centered around the attack. So uh, any truck function supports the search. Any engine's function supports the search. You know, you go back, and, and, and you know, I hate to say this because it sounds bad, but if they can search the house for every survivable square inch of that house and they can't do anything else and the house burns down, as a fire chief, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with us going in, making an aggressive attack, stopping the fire in its tracks, and then we forgot to search. You think about that. Oh, yeah, Are you okay crazy. with stopping the fire, saving all the property, but no one ever ever searched? So the, the most important truck function, whether it's coming from an engine company, a squad company, or a truck company, I don't care who does it, but the most impor- important truck function in my department would be the search. Love it. I don't, I don't think you can go wrong with that answer. And uh, Mike Heaney said, thank you. You set up my scrap. When do I have Mike? Mike's coming on. Oh, yeah, he's a couple weeks shortly. It's not even a couple weeks. It's like 10 days. All right. Uh, Tony Nunez said, excited for you to be back in the panhandle, Chief. I'll be there and ready to pick up on some of that East Montgomery badassery. That should be a T-shirt. Yeah, East, I love East it. Montgomery badassery. I'm so honored, man. I'm so honored to be there. That, that is the house that built me. You know, uh, I think about I think about that Miranda Lambert song where she goes back to the house she grew up in and asks to see around or whatever. So you know I'm just excited to go there because that truly is the house that built me. Nate Schuler's chiming in here and saying searching from the hose line. Thoughts? That's what we do. So we do a a thing called the stack up concept. Uh, if you look at the I believe it was the November issue last year of Fire Engineering, I wrote an article uh, the stack up concept. Uh, so basically, the first in engine sets the table, goes in for attack. The second in engine stacks up, or the, or the ladder truck stacks up on the first line. They they advance the line to the seat of the fire. Once the benchmarks made water on the fire, they start the primary search at the seat of the fire. So we're not searching as we advance because I don't want to slow down that push. But we do search as we advance in the sense that the stack up crew gets on the line and they can search with their tick or whatever. But for our fire department, the priority is to start the primary search at the seat of the fire and away from the fire. We don't have the manpower to search in front of the line, so marrying those first two companies and getting them together, it gets the nozzle to the seat of the fire faster. It draws that line in the sand that this we're not going to lose it anywhere past this point, and then it gives a good foothold for them to start a split search and, nice. and search the entire house. Nice. So I, I love searching off the line. That's what we do. It's built in as a pre-designated assignment unless there's a, uh, you know, a curveball when they pull up. Our plan A is to search off of the hose line with a stack-up crew married to the first in company of the attack. And everything else is an audible if the curveball's coming from that, from that starting point. That's it. Mobile command out of the first in company. So if there's a curveball, they get on the radio and they give the orders for the next in unit. Hey, vent the roof, whatever the case may be. Right. Whatever the curveball and the audible needs to be. They, they are in command until a command is assumed by the battalion chief who ri- arrives on location. That's your fire as a first-gen company. You know, we talked about it on a, uh, I think it was the aggressivefirefighter.com thing the other night. They were talking about aggressiveness in the fire department. And, you know, I chimed in. And I, I don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but and I don't mean to sound like it's a bad thing for me, but the yeah, word aggressive is starting to piss me off because it seems like it's so cliche now. Everybody throws it around, and they almost throw it around, in my opinion, as an excuse 
Like, I really want to be aggressive, but they won't let me be aggressive. I can tell you this as a fire chief of an organization. The first three to five minutes you're on scene by yourself, no one knows what the hell you did. So if you really want to be aggressive, stop looking for approval from somebody else and just be aggressive. So I traveled down that rabbit hole, but just my opinion. Like I said, man, rabbit holes are what makes the scrap so fun. For me, anyway, I don't know about everybody watching. I love them. Uh, Nate Shuler said awesome, right. so he approved. Laney Whitaker has said, I love the passion. Body language says a lot, but attitude to me says more. Look after your people, and they will look after you. An old-timer chief honored to be here. Awesome. Heck yeah. From And I cannot disagree with that. Throwing this up here. All right, I love this question. I've asked it. It should almost be one of the five questions, but it's not. It's uh, last two decades. Anything you've learned that a young Howard would laugh at? Look, if he could look forward into the future and see you now, he'd be laughing. What have you learned in the last two decades that's completely changed who young Howard thought it would be? That I thought the fire chief's job was easy. I can tell you, like I used to complain day in and day out. You know, man, if I was in there, I'd do this. If I was in there, I'd do that. That is not an easy job. It's not an easy job for somebody who really wants to put the people who work at the department, you know, as a priority. Lucky for me, I have five bosses who are amazing. They're absolutely amazing bosses. However, it's hard when you try to take care of everyone in the sense of you can do something that'll make three people happy and 20 people unhappy. (laughs) We're dropping a commercial fire. You got to go? Uh, dude, I, no, I, if it's working, I'll go. Okay. Okay. hundred percent, man. I, I, I would hate for the scrap to make you not go. Uh, Ryan Reeves said greetings. Yeah, from, if it's working, I'll go. A hundred percent, man. You don't have to explain. No, everybody in the, in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, lobby will completely understand. Uh, greetings from Guthrie, Oklahoma chief. I enjoy listening to you and about the tactics you all use in East Montgomery County, mainly because we are very similar with our manning levels. I am a captain with our department. But many of our upper officers cannot grasp the concept of things like VES and booster backup. We roll up to most of our working fires with five to six guys. What is the best advice you would give to a small department company officer? Again, with the uh, man, I don't. You know, it's hard for a rural rural area. Cause sometimes the chiefs beat you on scene quite a bit. But I would do what you believe in, man, and, and, and let the chips fall where they may. Because again, you know, you could go back to the excuse of being aggressive and you know they won't let me be aggressive well if your fire department just won't let you do something there's other fire departments out there that will i'm hiring right now if somebody wants a job that wants to be aggressive uh we put a job posting out you know you know the study material was the usfa's fire fatalities and uh uh, firefighterrescuesurveys.com but i guess you know the best advice i could give you is, is if you really don't like what's going on in your organization start moving up in rank that's the only way you can truly affect change in an organization is to move up and rank and take the reins over. A lot of people don't want to do that. And I thought I did. It's not easy. I go back to, you know, the lesson I learned or what I would be laughing at myself about now is, is, is thinking the fire chief's job's an easy one. But if you really want to affect that change, move up and rank, take the reins over and, and, and initiate that change. That's, that's the only advice I could give somebody on making change in an organization that refuses to change. You've got to take that bitch over. There you go. Uh, how's it looking so far? Anything? The commercial fire. Uh, I just texted Battalion Chief. Let me know if it's working. All right. Uh, all right. I want to switch gears slightly. This is Hannah Elliott, the uh, de facto question asker of the scrap. She says, "I want to switch gears slightly, Chief. You've brought up social media several times. What are some do's and don'ts that you've learned?" Steve Robertson was a uh, huge contributor to me correcting my behavior on uh, social media. The huge, the biggest lesson that I've learned in social media is whether you delete it or not, you can't take it back once it's been posted. Um, you know, Jason Holman re- reached out to me one time after a post I made, and he's like, man, you need to delete that or bury it in a bunch of other posts. Because once it's on there, it's hard to take back, and people remember what you said. So... I guess the lesson learned and, and the advice I would give is be very careful with what you respond with. Not everybody's in the same position you are. Not everybody's in the same mind frame you are. You may just be having a bad day, and they may be having a bad day as well, but uh, once you put it out there, a screenshot in itself will hold it forever. You can't get rid of a screenshot. Nice. Uh, Tony Nunes says, maybe we start using the term tactical assertion instead of aggressive. I like it. 
Matt Wallace says, Chief, on the topic... I'm going to start using that. A tactical assertion. Let's just use assertiveness. Uh, Matt Wallace, okay. Chief, on the topic of pre-assignment positions, do you assign writing position, assignments, apparatus assignments, or both? The captains do that. I, I, that's uh, that's something I don't belong meddling in. So that captain knows the firefighter and the driver on a, on a level that I don't know them. I try to know everybody the same, but I just can't know 70 people. I have 70 employees. I can't know all of them to that level. And I'll say it, you know, straight out now, you know, I, I would have disagreed three, four years ago, but not everyone is built the same. And, and for that captain or, or that, that battalion chief to know their people to a level to where they can make those pre-designated seat assignments, that's what I leave for them. What we make is pre-designated assignments as far as sequential orders on the fire ground. First in is attack, second in is booster tank backup, and they stack up on the hose line for residential. First in, uh, they set up for attack, but they don't make the attack immediately on the commercial until you know we get the second in to join up with them and marry up on a two and a half. They lay a hose line. They establish the water supply. They, there are pre-designated assignments, but not seat assignments. I don't want to get that far into it as an organizational standpoint. That should be left up to the captains. And as a fire chief managing an organization, if the captains aren't making those decisions, they shouldn't be captains. Love it. Love it. And it keeps, yeah, no. And it, and it builds trust, and it, you're never a micromanager and everything that goes along with that. Beautiful. Um, all right, so I want to get there before you go. have to go to this worker. Um, do you have books that you think firefighters should be reading? A book or a book to suggest? I'd say the best book I've read is uh, Collapse of Burning Buildings by Vincent Dunn. It really changed up my, I guess, my strategical mindset because I was really like, I was really like a go, like it didn't matter what type of structure it was, inch and three-quarter fire for everything, right? It, and sometimes that didn't play in my favor, but e- egotistically, I wouldn't admit that it went bad. So it was something else. It wasn't my fault. But, right. you know, reading that Collapse of Burning Buildings by Vincent Dunn or any of his books, really, it puts you in a different mindset because you got to understand where Vincent Dunn came from. Vincent Dunn came from getting called to fires for the majority of his career that were already lost. So he had to go in and pick up the pieces where a battalion chief with an aggressive mindset was still wanting to go, 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 and he had to say, you know, let's pull this back, establish water supply, set up master streams. I never was able to open that door in my mindset of aggressive defensive. I couldn't, I, those words did not go together until I read that book and understood that there are aggressive tactics. You know, Kurt talks about the positive pressure exposure protection. That's an aggressive tactic for defensive fire operations. Those things never entered my mind until I started reading stuff like that. So I would say if you were never going to read anything in the fire service except for one book, I would say Vincent Dunn, Collapse of Burning Buildings. That's just for me. It opened my mindset to a whole different world. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. And I think it's the first time it's been suggested in out of 60 scraps. So that's pretty good. And if anybody wants to find, I'm working on it. It's a work in progress. But all of the books that have been suggested by every guest on the scrap is on the Facebook page, Firehouse Vigilance. It's pinned up top. And it's only through about, I think, scrap 31. I have to update all the others. So, But I'm working on it. Uh, I am now heading into one of my favorite parts, and that is the five questions for firefighters. Uh, it's a little thing we do here. The points are arbitrary, and the answers are completely your opinion. So... Chief Howard Reinwald, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Send it. All right, here we go. I like send it. Uh, number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service? Public relations. I don't, I, and I say that because I don't know where it's going to head. It, you look at the, the state of affairs the country's in in a whole. Uh, I think it's the the largest thing that we're facing that's a negative impact because one, we don't know where it's going, and two, who knows how to fix it, right? Because you've got you've got wide spectrums on both ends of the whole thing that you don't know. You can either take this side or this side, and the other one's going to be pissed off. If you ride in the middle, you know you're not picking a side. So, I'm very terrified of how the public relations are going to be in the next five, ten, fifteen years. No, and there's no doubt that it is. We are the most device, divided I think we've ever been. Um, it's hard to argue with that. Number two, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting? Man, people who are going to conferences in the rank of firefighter moving up in the roles of captain, battalion chief, fire chief. You know, I think there's always been like FDIC around and those things, but you're getting, you know, the CFT, uh, CFT tactic 
Ozarks conferences on the beach, the you know the even you know the Lake of the Ozarks conferences, the Lyft conference in Louisiana. You've got these people attending these things, and they're hearing information that they've never heard before, and it's not just you know specific to their organization that they're bringing back and they're understanding. So I'm most excited to see people that are learning like we've never learned before in the fire department moving up and right. No, it's crazy because, like you said, all these things didn't exist, you know, 15 years ago, and now they're going to be the leaders of the right. future. It's yeah, that's a that's a great answer. So the max points on number two for sure. Uh, number three, best rank or position to be in in the fire service. Battalion chief, hands down. Really, okay. battalion chief, hands down. You know, yeah, uh, I think every other rank was great building up to that because it, it led me to that but for me the battalion chief rank because number one i still had i, I still have continuity and like uh you know a, you know a relationship with the crews but i miss the on shift every single day you know i, I i'm part of a shift i i, I miss that just that have that like that that thing that i had i don't have anymore i don't even know what to call it i, I do miss that but also the fact of in the battalion chief rank, I would either run command or I'd be inside with my gear on. So I, I, I miss that as well. I still try to do that all I can, but, you know, life's busy for me at, the, at this point. But being on shift, I was dedicated to responding to the emergency. If the tones went off, I was going for sure. And uh, I was able to put my gear on sometimes. I was able to run command sometimes. And I had a connection with the crew that I worked with. I, I miss the connection more than anything. Right on. Right on, right on. Okay, number four, the best advice you have ever received. Man, I've gotten so much <laughs> advice over here. I mean, this is someone who's received a lot of advice. Man, yeah, I have. And, you know, I would say, you know, a guy named Chief Fisher, from, uh, he was a Houston uh, chief, and he retired. Now he's a chief in Florida. I'd say, you know, one time he told me, don't let your head outrun your feet because then your body's going to fall down. And I think, you know, Looking back on that, that was probably some of the best advice I've gotten because sometimes we let what we think in our mind and what we think we know in our mind outruns what we can really do with our feet to follow up. So uh, I think that was probably the best advice I've ever received is, is, is stay stay grounded and don't let your head outrun your feet. I like it. I like it a lot. And that was a rough point. question. That was a rough one. I locked you up for a second. That just yeah, means, man. like you said, you just had a lot of advice given to you. Final question. Yeah. Number five, you've got heavy fire and you have searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Man, uh, you know, so I've been in this situation a few times. A guy named uh, Ross Carithers was with me in one and Kyle Simmons was with me in another. The front door and the back door is not the only entry to a house. If I pull up with heavy fire showing, you say one room's not burning. Uh, my options are hose line or, or vent or search. I say throw those options off the table and I'm going through the window that's not burning with the hose line. One, I can get a good anchor point of the hallway. If the door's, you know, compromised, I can stop fire from coming into the room. If there's no victim, I can keep the push going. So uh, the biggest bang for my buck is I got direct access to the victim if they're there in that unburned portion of the house. And if they're not there, I get to attack the fire too. So all good. Uh, so, I, man, I would say why can't I do both? I'm saying I think you might be the first person who said vent enter fire attack. Yeah, I mean, that's what I would go with. All right, I like it. I like it. I will actually give most people who try to take both or neither, you know, I usually give. But no, I will. I like that. Uh, vent enter fire attack. I love it. Chief, it's been a blast. That is the five questions for firefighters. Uh, firefighters, best place to contact you, reach out to you, book a class, anything you got going on. Catch you at a conference. What do you got coming on? Uh Oh, uh, we've got the Box Alarm Academy coming up in December, uh, Galveston, Texas. Uh, and then uh, the only other thing on the schedule really that's open is probably the Las Vegas class, which would be in January on the 30th. We're going to be in Las Vegas on the Strip at the Hilton, uh, Hilton uh, Las Vegas Strip South. It'll be me, Romagus, and Dennis Riley. Uh, December 19th, I'll be in San Antonio at the Hilton there in San Antonio with Jacob Johnson and Kyle Romagus. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm going to the house that built me. I'll, I'll keep saying it that way. Uh, we'll be in Florida on Pensacola Beach helping out Chief Isaacson with the uh, – got another house fire. Um, 
helping Chief uh, Ike out with the, uh, the Pensacola Beach benefit. And, uh, man, that's about it right now, except for third Coast Conference in March 2021. I'll have Chief Turpak there, Chief right Todd Edwards, Captain Todd Edwards, um, myself, Clyde Gordon, Mo Davis, Anthony Rowett, Romagus. Uh, we'll all be there. Um, best place to reach me would be Howard at FDTactics.com. Perfect. Facebook. You can find him on Facebook for sure. Chief, it's yeah. been it has been a blast. Uh, I appreciate you. It's been a slight delay there when I walked on you a few times, but you put up with me nicely, so I appreciate that. Well, hopefully the delay was enough that everybody missed me spitting my drink out. <laughs> I think that might be a first for the scrap. So it was very well, good. Man, when you said that, when you said that about Chief Thompson, I could picture in my mind me teaching a class with him out there. Right. And how nervous I would be, and it just. I mean, just the, the sweat on the armpits. Yeah. Oh, man. So, man. Um, coming up on the scrap, next week we have LJ Geist. He was chiming in earlier. He is coming up. He is the next guest. Mike Heaney, uh, followed by Bobby Halt, and then Scott Thompson. So, it's a packed up December, moving into the Christmas time. And so, uh, it's going to be a good time on the scrap. Chief Howard Reinwald, FD Tactics, the guest on scrap number 60. It's been amazing. I've had a good time. Uh, thank you guys for your comments and your questions. Thank you, Chief, for being an unbelievably great guest. Thank you so much. Hope uh, everybody enjoyed it. Absolutely. And for everybody watching, I hope the tone stays silent unless it's burning. Stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode. <laughs>